0: This is Trust the Evidence, a new podcast series from the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at the University of Oxford, presenting conversations with individuals interested in improving health care through the use of better evidence. Okay, I have with me uh, Professor David Spiegelholter, who is the Winton Professor for the Public Understanding of Risk. Good afternoon David. Good afternoon. Yeah well we've just had an interesting talk about the new MSC and EBHC medical statistics and I think it'd be interesting to just what do we really mean by medical statistics and how does that differ from other fields of just statistics? I, well I think statistics are observations on people's
1: health. It's data on on uh, the state of people's health and what might affect their health, either the cause of diseases or the or the treatment of diseases. And uh, this is of course, you know, incredibly important. And I actually don't think it differs that much from, from other fields. Um, I personally find the medical work more interesting but, um, and that medical statistics has driven a lot of the development in statistics, you know, the, the idea of clinical trials, randomised trials, which of course started in agricultural statistics before, before medicine. So, you know, it's, it's part of the great history of statistics. But it doesn't actually differ that much. It leads the way a lot of the time. It led the way perhaps in survival analysis. It led the way in meta-analysis. It led the way in clinical trials. But all these, all these ideas have then been taken over in other areas of statistics.
0: So I've seen you do radio programmes. You've got a new book on teaching statistics. Uh, risk, actually, isn't it, in schools? Uh, TV programmes. All sorts of areas. What, and every time I watch you, you're obviously a person who's passionate about communication of statistics. So where did that come from and why are you so passionate? Yeah, I I,
1: I suppose I do feel it's quite important for people to understand numbers um you know i love numbers and i and i i've been asking myself why you know what's so good about numbers a lot of people don't like them and you can't push them too much on people because they you know people just can clam up in fact if i'm reading a block of text and there's lots of numbers in it it can put me off as well but but if i'm actually trying to make a decision some idea of magnitude is important the fact that some things are bigger than other things and, you know, just that you can't compare things without some idea of magnitude. You know what? You know what's, what? You know what costs more? We do that all the time, and and of course that gets even more complicated when we're dealing in situations of uncertainty, when we can't predict the future exactly, and then we're dealing with risks. But then. There are magnitudes of risks. Some things we can sort of ignore because we're not particularly concerned. We can die from an asteroid tomorrow. It could happen, but it's a very small number. But we are concerned about other risks because they're bigger. And getting this idea of magnitude, it doesn't have to be to the fourth decimal place. Just a, a rough idea of magnitude, I think, is incredibly important. And without that... We've no way of setting
0: priorities. We've no way of comparing options. So I guess that then leads itself to, are we in a world where understanding numbers, the size of effects and the importance of effects, that the population out there has to do a better job, or are we actually in a world where they're doing okay?
1: Well, I, 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 if there's misunderstandings, I, frankly, I don't place it on the audience's fault for being stupid or irrational or anything. No, frankly I think it's our fault as professionals as communicators, as, as scientists I, 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 blame, I blame us um, that it's been shown again and again that you know, when people generally misunderstand things like relative risks and whatever that if you put it in the right format if you make an effort, a real effort to communicate it and have tested materials that, that you've you know, really tried out that you can get people to understand stuff, and 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 they, you know they can say, oh yeah, that's all right, that's that, that, that's that's clear. So actually, I do blame us for not providing the right tools, for not listening to people's problems, and for just so easily dismissing, you know, either the public or even the media as being incompetent.
0: And do you think this is a, a phenomenon that's become more relevant recently because I think. You know, I, I, I think about when I first started in medicine, it was much more of a sort of doctor-centered approach where the doctor would say something and the patient would believe everything the doctor said and that was it, the doctor said that. But now in a world where we're increasingly in a shared decision-making world, is it now that this has become important or has it been evolving in the last 10, 20 years? You know, I, I, I think this is terribly important because, yeah,
1: you're right, we're, we're shifting, and not just in medicine, from a general era of paternalism of, of the the expert telling people what to do to, you know, a shared decision to an informed choice by the person. It's happening in, in finance. When we buy a mortgage, people have to spend about 40 minutes explaining the risks and everything. It's a real pain. But, but is it, because... Actually, in that situation, um, I, 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 you know, I, I become someone who's rather, um, you know, not very keen on getting the information. But I do want to feel that the, somebody who I trust is making an effort to explain these things to me. What are the options? What are the benefits and harms of those options? I can then, uh, actually, I, I feel it's quite reasonable to turn around to someone who's done that and say, well, thank you very much for telling me. Now, what do you think I should do? Yeah. do I, yeah, it's quite reasonable to ask for advice. But People would like to know the options, and they'd like to know the benefits and harms of those options. It doesn't necessarily mean that they want to take all the responsibility for the decision upon themselves. Mm. And a sensitive and caring doctor will take a lot of that back. But the age of just telling people what to do is, I think, gone... Um, it's actually you know uh, through legal precedent now in surgery um, the need to have a proper informed choice about surgery is, is legally binding now in this country after a recent judgment and, uh, and I think that's a good thing but that does mean that far more work has to be put into finding appropriate ways to communicate possible harms and benefits of treatment in a way that people can
0: grasp if they want to if they don't well that's also their option. So one of the things that's been interesting to me is is that use of numbers, magnitude, statistics is really interesting depending on when your event's going to happen and often what we're talking about now is a risk at some point in the future Mm -hmm. so if you have a heart attack now and your risk of dying in the next 24 hours is is very high I might take more of an approach of let's get on with the treatment and talk Mm -hmm. to you later but we're often talking about Let's have a screening decision on what might happen to you in the next 30 years. And that seems to me a really difficult thing to get a decision around and understand the magnitude of it. Yeah, and the statins is the classic
1: example where the mm. guidelines are based on a 10 year risk of a heart attack or stroke and if it's above 10%. And the gu- nice guidelines suggest offering statins. Now, um, you know, th- 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 for many people, I think, in, in practice would think, well, that seems a bit low. That really means that all men, 60 mm. uh, something, are just going to be offered statins immediately. Um, and uh, I think there are, it's, 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 both, you know, it's both sensible for uh, the National Health Service to offer that, it also can be equally sensible for someone to say, no thank you, I don't want it. Mm. If they decide they don't, either the, the, okay, the side effects of statins have been uh, exaggerated, um, I think, but um, they may not want to be medicalized, you know, to if they're it's currently not taking daily pills, there is a definite disutility of becoming becoming medicalized.
0: I think that's really interesting. So you, th- you had an example there like statins one of the things that seems to be really contentious at the moment difficult for people to get their head around is the idea of screening. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. idea it's sometimes people talking about too much medicine or overdiagnosed, mm-hmm. but you give a great example of breast cancer there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you want to just if you could talk through the breast oh. cancer because it's a great example yeah, of Yeah, the, the breast issues. cancer
1: screening which was is, is controversial and the you know the review by a really good panel you know, decided that, worked out, you know, for every one person whose early death is prevented by the screening programme, three are harmed by the screening programme through being treated for a disease that otherwise wouldn't have caused them any harm. So essentially that's 4,000 unnecessary treatments for breast cancer every year in this country because of the breast screening programme. The benefit is 1,300 lives saved, you know, early deaths prevented. So, and that's, you know, that's a trade-off that has to be made. It has to be made at the population level in deciding to offer the Mm. service and that's it is definitely cost effective it has to be made at the individual level to decide whether to take advantage to take the service or not and two women given exactly the same information can come to opposite decisions
0: and they both can be right And I think, and I agree with that, because you have different issues that you might look Mm. at evidence, same evidence. What is a health professional? And I'm thinking in a very broad term health professional, because there are so many people now involved in decisions, whether it's paramedics, nurses, doctors, it's a broad term. And there are lots of things. If you were a health professional, you just say, look, these are the few elements of medical statistics or of numbers that you should get really honed in and be able to say and understand these. Oh, that's so difficult.
1: Oh, dear, that is really difficult to hone in because you, you, once you start listing them, you start, really, oh, I've got to put that in. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to mention bias and oh. studies. I've got to mention, um, uh, you know, I've got to mention risk, you know, the importance of relative risk and how misleading that can be without knowing about what the actual absolute risk benefit might be from a treatment oh that's a terrible question <laughs> right. yeah, that's all right. you need it all no you don't need <laughs> it all you don't need it at all I think I think you, and then the idea of significant differences the fact that you might observe differences in a small sample that don't might not actually hold up in the long run um, uh,
0: what about if I say to you? You gave a great example. You talked about natural frequencies, mm, and mm. you know what? What do we mean well, by natural yeah, frequencies? Exactly.
1: Well, I, I use the term expected frequencies. Oh, the... I think, yeah, I, I prefer that. Okay. But it's 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 a very powerful communication device that's been developed. Where you know, instead of talking about chances or probabilities, the metaphor you use essentially is hundred people like you. Well, out of a hundred people like mm. you, you know, let's say my statin risk. You know, I think it's about. Oh, I haven't put myself through the calculator recently, but let's say it's. Twelve percent over the next ten years of a heart attack or stroke. So that means that out of hundred people like me, twelve yeah. in the next ten years, if they don't die of anything else, will have a heart attack or stroke. And if I take my statin every day, that will go down to eight.
0: Yeah.
1: Now I don't know whether I'm one of those. That means that um, you know, hundred people like me would have to take statins every day for ten years to prevent four heart attacks or strokes. Yeah. And I don't know whether I'm going to be one of the four that will benefit out of those hundred. You know, I could be anyone. Most people. It means that you know, ninety-six out of a hundred people like me won't. Have have any effect of taking this damn statin yeah. every day. So it, it, it's, um, uh, it's a very powerful communication device, and we know that the way, different ways in which we tell that story can have different, make different impressions on people. If I say, oh, statins prevent a third of all heart attacks or strokes, and it yeah. reduces your risk by a third, wow, you think that's really cool. Yeah. But then if you say, you know, 100 people like you will have to take it for 10 years and only four of them will have their yeah. heart attack or stroke prevented, will benefit, it doesn't sound so cool anymore.
0: So, I watch your, your uh, person who writes on social media and the odd blog and news article here. And the last one I think you wrote about was the processed meat. And I think you wrote an article about that. I've it burnt toast. Burnt toast, yeah. <laughs> So, obviously, some things you must get up in the morning and think, right, that really irates oh, I, me. I, and the shouting at the radio, <laughs> yeah.
1: The, and the, the, the thing that really makes me shout at the radio is when somebody gets up. Usually with a very strong agenda and says, Oh, it's been shown that this increases the risk of X and especially it's can it's usually cancer. But it could be anything, increases the risk. And then I start shouting. Then I start shouting. Say, so, hang on, and oh, uh, no, no, no! And then they say, and therefore we should ban something, or people yeah. should do this, or they shouldn't. You know, they shouldn't burn their toast, or they shouldn't. I get so furious. Yeah. I get absolutely furious. And there's no logical connection between something increasing the risk, and therefore something must be done. Yeah, you know, you have to show that that, that uh, proposed um, implement, uh, pro- proposed intervention, is cost effective. That people will will follow it. Uh, and and so on you know giving people public health advice is not a free good you know and especially if people don't believe it or you know you've you've loose you've reduced trust in authority about public health and this is a a terrible thing to do to do things that reduce trust in the population is just really bad you know policy so um those are the things that really when i really shout at the radio is when somebody gets up and starts telling people what to do on the basis of some study that showed an increased risk of something
0: well that's really interesting and they never quote the numbers yeah. they so, just say it increases the risk so we've talked a lot about what you can do as health professionals but I, what i see from a lot of your work is you're targeting and going to the public mm-hmm. for mm. the public understanding of risk what let's go to the real public so if i'm i we're all part of the public but what do you think How could we prepare ourselves better? Or what could we do, do you think, that could help? Because at the moment, we know the newspapers are deluging this with this material. I
1: I think it's tricky because the the public is you know people say publics because it really segments into so many different groups of people who really are very uh, passive about about the information they receive uh, people who are very trusting of authority people who are very distrusting of authority people who like numerical evidence people who can't stand it. It, it people are very different and so there's no single homogeneous public there's lots of different groups of people with different information needs um, and those have to be catered for and we have to respect uh, that some people, yeah, you know, actually, well, I don't want to know, and I don't care, and I don't trust anybody anyway. And that, that, the, the thing about you know, just not trusting you know authorities, I think is, that is very unfortunate. But you know, as people who work on trust say, to be trusted, you have to demonstrate trustworthiness. You cannot just ask people or tell people to trust you. You have to really work on your trustworthiness and to understand what can generate that. So I, I, I think that, um, we, but we can help people. We can help people by putting things in a way that actively helps them to understand, mm. uh, that doesn't try to baffle them with science, that doesn't try to just use authority to tell people what to do, that actually explains the benefits or harms of a particular action in ways that people can grasp. And um, there's this nice idea of perspectives that, you know, if you say, oh, this is increases the risk, and to put that in perspective... This is like smoking 10 cigarettes a day. Yeah. You know, you, you make an analogy, yeah. or, or so many miles on a motorbike or something like that. You make an analogy, maybe not even one analogy, but one something that actually, oh yeah, I see, oh that's, it gives it a magnitude. I, I like a cigarette equivalent I, for air pollution. Yeah. You know, I say, well, living in London is like, you know, one or two cigarettes a day, and living in Delhi is like 20 cigarettes a day. You know, it just gives an idea of the magnitude yeah, of what's yeah, going so,
0: on. Well, look, that's really interesting. There is so much interesting information in there. Trustworthiness, reflecting uncertainty in the size of the magnitude. Thank you very much to Professor David Spiegelhalter. No, also. thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Trust the Evidence. If you liked this episode and would like to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.cebm.net or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes by searching Trust the Evidence. See you next time.